Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. How's everybody doing today? Hey, it's it's uh, a blessing to be here in Alabama. I, uh, you know, some people call it a mission field. I don't. I'm from here. <laughs> I, uh, I'm originally from Mobile, Alabama, uh, down south, and uh, I love Alabama, and I love Alabama. And that's all I'll say about that. I'll move along. How many of you know you don't have to have your suit? That, Pastor, thank you so much for having me and for uh, the honor of preaching at Calvary today. And we're really, I'll talk about this more, but we're really looking forward to building a partnership in the days ahead pointing towards October that we really believe could be a catalytic moment uh, for, for Alabama and the Assemblies of God. And I say that in raw sobriety and, and humility and understand what I'm saying when I say that. Uh, how many of you know that you don't have to have your suit just right and your tie just right, read from a certain version of the Bible for God to hear your prayer? How many of you know you can be headed the wrong way with the wrong people and God still hear everything that you say to him? I haven't always been saved. I was a drug addict, drug dealer, addicted to everything that goes along with that lifestyle. And one night I was doing a drug called LSD. How many of you know LSD is not approved by the FDA? <laughs> Food and Drug Administration. Everything else is approved by them but that. And uh, I'd taken a bit too much of it this particular night, and I was having what appeared to be an overdose. I was curling up in a fetal position. My back was wrenched. I was contemplating going to the emergency room. I was very frightened. And I came home early that night, and I began to flip through the stations rapidly. And uh, I stopped on an unusual one for somebody that's tripping on LSD, TBN. How many of you know that's a wild combination, LSD and TBN at the same time? There was pink hair on the platform and had nothing to do with the drugs. I thought I found the psychedelic channel. And I wouldn't have stayed long, I assure you, but in the midst of that OD, I stopped. And there was a man that was preaching, and the first words that came out of his mouth, he points his finger in the camera like this, and he says these words, and I quote, There are some young people that are watching this program, and you're hooked on drugs. You're in a deep, dark cave of drug addiction. But I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ is in the cave with you. He's going to bring you out of the cave, and you're going to preach the gospel around the United States of America. When he said that, the power of God hit me in that lazy boy chair. And the Holy Spirit came into the room. And, and uh, I, I, I was instantly sobered off of LSD. Now, if you've ever done LSD, you don't have to raise your hand and shout amen. But you don't instantaneously sober off of LSD. And I'd love to say at that moment that I got on my knees and Gabriel and Michael dropped out of heaven and gold dust fell on me and I never sinned again. But that's not what happened. I continued to deal drugs. I continued to do drugs and go further and deeper into addiction and lasciviousness than I'd ever gone. But I'd had an encounter. Everybody say encounter. When you have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it's not like getting mustard on your shirt at lunch and with enough detergent it comes out over time. If you have a real encounter with the Spirit, it sticks, it stays. And although everything in my life on the outside looked like God wasn't doing anything, I want to tell you on the inside He was working overtime. And I've come here to tell maybe some moms and dads, some grandparents uh, this morning, maybe you've got a grandchild, an aunt, a daughter that seems to be far away from God and you know they were touched by God at some point in their life. Uh, no matter what it looks like on the inside, you have no idea what God's doing on the inside. And so uh, after that encounter, I began to do two things that drug addicts normally don't do. One, I prayed every night before I'd go to bed that God would get me in church. I would just lay down right before I'd pass out and say, God, get me in church. And I'd go to bed. The second thing I began to do was prophesy. 
Now that messes with some people's theology, but, but that's okay. It doesn't bother me at all if it messes with it. I'd never read the verse, the power and life and death is in the tongue. Never read that one. Never, never, never heard of Ezekiel and to call things even though they were not as though they were. And I would be at a party like that encounter with TBN. God called me to be an evangelist at that moment. And I knew that was my destiny to preach the gospel. So I would be at a party. I'd been drinking all day, cocaine in my pocket, marijuana in my hand, and I'd get everybody's attention at the party, and I'd say real loud, one day I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ around the United States of America. When the devil thought he had me bound, shackled, and in bondage, I was prophetically shaping the destiny of my life. And uh, one night, I was in Gold Shores, Alabama, and I was highly intoxicated, and I had a bright idea. You ever met a drunk guy with a bright idea? Come on, don't look at me all dignified. You were the drunk guy with the bright idea. Come on now, take that off your face. And so I thought, I'm going to give the California wave to the car next to me. They did not think it was funny. So they chased us. One bright idea was followed by a second. We pulled over. I thought I'm going to get out of the car with my long neck Budweiser beer bottle and hit the guy in the head with it. And so I get out of the car. Point number one happens. Point number two, I yell some provocative things. And then point number three, I didn't realize these guys were probably undercover police officers. (laughs) And all of a sudden, all the police from Gulf Shores, Alabama showed up out of nowhere like Philip the Evangelist. And and they wrote a song about me that goes something like this. I fought the law. Yeah. Every one of you that knew that song are going straight to hell for listening to secular music. We've got it on video. Pastor Sawyer will be setting up appointments starting Tuesday at 10. If you get a call from the church tomorrow, don't answer it. I fought the law. The law won straight to jail. And, And I'm in and out of jail. And the last time the judge put me in, he put me in for a year. I kept failing my probation. And he starts, go, he lets me out much earlier, and he starts going over my new Titan probation. He, he said, you have to go to AA and NA every day. How many of you have ever been to AA or NA? Just wave at me. Just put your hand up. You're no longer anonymous. Everybody just look around. Your anonymity is broken. And then he said something that changed my life. He said, and you have to go to church on Sunday and get the bulletin signed by a pastor or I'm going to put you in jail for a year. How many of you know God answers prayer in mysterious ways? Little did I know the prayer that I prayed in just the twinkling of an eye before I'd pass out on my bed, God get me in church, God heard my prayer. Isn't that the mercy of God? Isn't that the grace of God while we were sinners, while we were depraved, while we were enemies of God? He steps in the middle of our mess. That's just not some nice little phrase. He takes our mess and he does make it a message. That is what God is in the business of doing. And so I had to go to church. So I picked this little Assembly of God church in in Wilmer, Alabama, Tanner Williams Assembly of God. And so they had Sunday night services, so I'd go on Sunday night. It's not that I didn't want to go on Sunday morning. It's just I couldn't stay up that late, <laughs> you know, after Saturday. I didn't like getting up that early, you know, didn't two hours of sleep, didn't flow well with me. So I'd go on Sunday night. And so I remember the first time I walked in the building and talking to the pastor, you know, hey, my name's Joe Oden. I've been a drug addict and a drug dealer, and the judge has ordered me to come to church because I'm so bad, and he doesn't think jail works for me and, and my only options, God, and I got to come to church and I picked yours and would you please sign my bulletin every week? Would be to God, Calvary would be full of people that were drug addicts and drug dealers and people that are messed up. Thank you for the three amens. You know, Jesus didn't come for those that were healthy. He came for the sick. He came for the destitute. He came for the least, the last and the lost. Would be to God, this church would be full of of people that were smoking crack and prostitutes and pimps. 
people that are broken and messed up. How many of you remember when you were messed up when God found you? Don't act like you had it all together your whole life. There was a day, there was a moment where you didn't have it together. And in your depravity, God stepped in. So, so I would go to church every Sunday night. And about six months into my church sentence, you ever been to that one? About six months in, I walked in and the atmosphere was different. I, I didn't know Christianese, right? I didn't know how to say, brother, I feel the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the God of Abraham. I didn't know how to talk like that. I'm like, there's a reality in the house. You know, there's, there's something here. And, and I think that's the litmus test. Not, not does a charismatic believer feel the anointing in the church. Does a drug addict feel it when they walk in that has no frame of reference? Will a Muslim feel it? A Buddhist feel it? An atheist feel it? A Satanist? So I, I know something's there and I'm having open-eyed visions of the things of God. And uh, the, the man that was preaching was from a church about 70 miles east of Mobile, Alabama in Pensacola called Brownsville. And the minister was the, was one of the leaders at the Brownsville revival. His name was Bob Gladstone and he was a prophetic voice. He was like a John the Baptist raised from the dead. I'd heard people speak. I'd heard sermons. I'd heard teaching. I'd heard lectures. But I'd never in my life heard someone with a baptism of holy fire on their life like this man. I didn't need a joke. I didn't need good charismatic preaching. I needed somebody with an anointing that breaks the yoke on their life. I want to tell you the United States of America is in a place right now where well-to-do events and intellectual articulation and good presentation and show is not going to get the job done. We need an awakening. We need individuals with the power of the Spirit on their life. And, and he begins to preach, and I'm captivated by it. I wasn't spooked. You know, I was the guy that says you need to tone it down on Sunday because you don't want to spook people. I wasn't spooked. I wasn't put back. I thought, I've been looking for something like this my whole life. Why haven't you brought this guy out here before? Where has this guy been my whole life? And he gave a call to receive Christ, and I jumped up, and I ran to the altar, literally, and I slid on my knees. I'd been to three rehabs. Uh, uh, I got suspended from school for selling drugs. Uh, the judge sent me to rehab. I checked myself into a rehab. Tens of thousands of dollars later, I'd go bound and I'd leave bound. I'd walk in in bondage and I'd leave in bondage. But this particular night, April the 27th, 1997, I bowed my knee in that old Assembly of God church. And when I stood up for the first time in my life, I was washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, clean, made whole, transformed. And I'm, and I'm standing there in this new reality and, and Bob, he walks off of the platform and, and he gets to about the second step and he looks at me and he says, what do you need from God? And I didn't know exactly what to say. So I gave it my best spiritual answer. I said, I'd like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he, he said, okay, I didn't understand the theological ramifications behind my request. I assure you that I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal church. And what was about to happen that night had never happened to me. It had never happened in that church. I'd never seen anything like it when I, as I'd gone there. He touches me on the head. And the next thing I know, I'm flying back under the power of God. I land on my back. I looked up to God and I said, Lord, that was like I just smoked a good joint. But I felt clean on the inside. It didn't feel dirty. It didn't feel... It didn't feel negative. It felt pure. It felt right. It felt holy. I thought, I've searched my whole life for this. Uh, you know, I was a drug dealer in my high school, and not one Pentecostal kid ever came up to me and said, Jesus can set you free. Not one Pentecostal teenager ever walked up to me and said, let me pray for you. I was a candidate for the power of God, but everybody shrunk back. Everybody was afraid. Uh, and and we have got to be willing to step out uh, to reach people that are bound by the devil. 
and, and so I got up off of the floor and we had these old altars that ran across the front of the church and I thought, I'm not leaving. I've been searching my whole life for this. Uh, I sat on that dude like somebody getting on a horse in Montana. <laughs> I wasn't leaving. And as, and as I'm sitting there, literally, uh, this is not hyperbole. The Shekinah glory of God began to come up out of the floor. A smoke began to fill the sanctuary that I was in. I, I looked up to God and I said, Jesus, my life for the gospel. I walked in that night bound by hell, death, and the grave. I walked out set free, baptized in fire, called to be an evangelist. I, I went to work the week before going to hell. I went to work the next week telling everybody they were going to hell. How many of you know that was not the most effective form of evangelism? And I'd go to the revival and I'd listen to evangelist Steve Hill preach and he could tell you you're going to hell 7,404 ways in one night. And so that was my first vocabulary word, honest to God, was hell. And Dr. Michael Brown would lay hands on you and yell fire real loud. So that's how I thought you had to pray for people. The first thing you do is you tell them they're going to hell. The second thing you do is you lay hands on them and yell fire as loud as you can. That was my evangelistic strategy. And I would ask people from my church to come do evangelism. But no, we're not going to do that. No, we might get another one of you. We had a board meeting 10 years. We're not going to have another drug addict to deal with. No, 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 no. So I'd go by myself. That's sad. Thank you for the two amens. And it's dangerous. Because I didn't know anything in the Bible. I, 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 I didn't know, I didn't know theology. I just knew I'd been set free and I wanted to see others get set free. So where'd you go, Joe? To the mall. What was my strategy? I had to, I, you know, I had to love a God stare. Like God loves you. But he'll be okay with sending you to hell today. He's not going to be bothered by that. That was my attitude. I know I didn't have right theology, but you weren't there. And so I'm walking through the mall and I step in front of this guy. Everybody likes that, right? Somebody you've never met in your life just kind of blocks you as you're walking. And I had to stare down. I said, my name's Joe Oden. If you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? And I gave him a track with somebody falling into hell. Beautiful illustration, right? It was like this. Dude was freaked out going to hell, you know, so I thought this will be a good strategy. And he said, I'm a Baptist. You know, there's about three and a half million people that live in Alabama and five million of them are registered Baptists. It's a fact. <laughs> and so I began to look for something to bust him on. One of them 7,404 ways you can go to hell for. So I'm looking and I spotted some nicotine products. So I take the bony finger out, get the love of God stare honed in directly at him. And I said, I don't care if you're a Baptist, nicotine. You like to chew, do you? You're going to get chewed on all right by a worm that never dies. It's going to eat on your flesh. Smoking, huh? You're going to want to quit smoking, but you're going to smoke with the devil. Can I pray for you? He said, yes. He didn't know my prayer strategy. When he said yes, square on the head. Fire! It wasn't a manifestation of the Holy Ghost either. It tripped that dude out. Jesus is looking over the balcony of heaven. Check this dude out. Gabriel Michael's like, we gotta stop him. This is insane. No, that was funny. Let's keep watching him. So, so I began to read the Bible, but I, I couldn't understand it, but I started reading it. <laughs> and I got to Psalm 133 where they took oil and they poured it all over Aaron. And I thought, he's a priest. And I guess what they called it in the Old Testament, I'm supposed to preach, so I must be a priest. So I went and got a big bottle of oil, jumbo size. Isn't this beautiful? <laughs> I, I, you know. I guess y'all heard this story. I don't see any oil up here. And, and so, so I took it and I stuck it up over my friend's head. And he got about eight badoops. He had oil from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. He stuck it up over my head, oil from top to bottom. 
We stepped out. It was about midnight. We had a glow-in-the-dark anointing. You can't make this up. Where'd you go, Joe? It was midnight. We went to Walmart 24 hours a day. We walked in like we'd been on a methamphetamine binge for seven days. Yellow stuff is dripping off behind us. Looked like our Depends had broken open on aisle seven. Come on. Just being real. <laughs> we're looking for a victim. We're just running. We're in the dog food section, the canned goods, the bicycles, you know, the basketballs. We're just looking for somebody. This guy walks over to me. He said, excuse me, sir. I don't mean to be a smart aleck. He said, but what is that in your hair? He said, you've been running? I took about three R.W. Sham box steps back. I said, no, 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 no. I haven't been running as you suppose. This is the anointing oil of God. And I've come to preach you the gospel. Nope, that didn't work, man. He left <laughs> Walmart right then. Jesus was looking over the balcony. Gabriel Mike was like, Jesus, he's going to keep reading the book. He's going to keep on. He don't understand it. He's ignorant. And he's got a low IQ. And he's going to get to where Peter cut the guy's ear off. He's not going to keep reading. He's going to shut his Bible and say he's got a word from the Lord. He's a redneck from Alabama. He's a member of the NRA. He deer hunts with bows and shotguns. And he's going to get one of them and take people to church by force. Jesus said, no, no, no. We're not going to stop him. I like him. And if you didn't DVR that old deal, man, that was hilarious. They said, why do you like that guy? Jesus said, it's simple. It's simple. He's available. Everybody say available. It's not about how good you can preach, how articulate you are, how charismatic you are, how well put together your articulation is. It's about how available you are. And God wants you to be available. God wants Calvary to be available. That's, that's what God wants from us. I want to, I want to take a moment and, uh, after, after I got saved, I began to pray this prayer. It was pure. I said, Lord, what was on Bob? Put it on me. I want to knock people out. And I didn't understand that I was praying and God did. I didn't know that I was agreeing, God, give me the anointing that breaks the yoke. I was equating when my yoke got broke, me getting hit by the power. And I wanted others to experience that. And so I prayed, God, what's on Bob put on me? And I was only saved a number of days or weeks, and the pastor gave me the keys to the church. They, that, was a, that was an act of faith, but they knew I got saved because I was a drug addict dude. Now I'm dancing to a, in a service where the worship leader couldn't sing. You ever been to a church like that? How did they get on the platform? And we had a lady that played the organ. That was our, that was our worship experience. A lady that couldn't sing and, a, and another lady that played the organ. And I danced to I'll Fly Away. I mean, you knew you got saved if, 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 if you're in the spirit with that, right? Come on, don't look at me all wild now. Come on now. You know you've been to that church once, haven't you? Okay, now, no, I don't know. This is not dignified. I'm just telling you the truth. And, and so, so they gave me the keys to the church. And I would go up there constantly for hours. And I'd lay on the floor with this, with this embryonic purity. God used me to see people knocked out and get free. And about three months into this, I prayed for a guy at my church. The power of God hit him and knocked him out. I thought, that's amazing. If you can do that in a church altar... You can do it in the darkest place of Mobile, Alabama. So I said, Lord, that's where I'm going. I'm going to where the... I'd never read. I'd never read that Jesus came to, 
seek and save that's lo- that which is lost. I've never read any of those parables. And so three months into my salvation, I'm at, at the corner of Conception and Conti Street where they've got about 20 or 30 bars on one side and seven or eight alternative gay bars at the corner that I would go to. And there was an old chain link fence that I would lean up against by my, now I don't recommend anybody going to areas like this by yourself, but nobody would go with me. And I'd lean up against that chain link fence and I would weep over the condition of the people that I saw and just pray. Just, just, just hear me. An old school, pure burden. For people to know Jesus. That's what I want in life. I want to walk in an authentic, pure burden to see people get set free. I pray, I pray that happens in you today. I pray that God awaken that. So this was my evangelistic strategy. I'd walk up to people and I'd say, have you ever felt the power of God? And if they say no, I would say, would you like to? If they'd say I have, I'd say, would you like to again? And so I prayed for hundreds of people. You know what happened? Nothing. Not much. Very little. But I didn't build a theology around what God didn't do. I didn't build a principle on what seemed like a failure. Sometimes people step out in evangelism and they witness to three or four people in zeal, get rejected three or four times, and they think, well, that just must be for Pastor Phyllis and Pastor George, Pastor Amelia. That must just be for the church staff, the evangelist on television. And it's not like you build a fundamental theology, but your actions depict what you believe. And we should only build principle and theology around what God did do and what he has done, and what the Bible says. And I would lay hands on every individual like all 200 of them had gotten hit by the power because I read in Mark chapter 16, those that believe shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You'll cast out devils and you'll raise the dead. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. As you go preach, this was my cornerstone verse right here, Matthew 10, 7 and 8, for the disciples and we're a disciple, I'm a disciple. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out devils. That's what we're called to do. We're not called just to be nice Christians that don't use profanity. We are called to destroy the works of the devil. (coughs) And so a friend of mine challenged me to go on a fast. Let me ask you this. In the grace of God, no condemnation. When's the last time you fasted for souls? (coughs) Not a financial breakthrough, but just for souls to get saved. And so he challenged me to fast three days. Three days turned into 40. And on the fifth day of the fast, I'm ministering to a gay man at midnight outside of a bar. I said, have you ever felt the power of God? He said, no. I said, would you like to? He said, yes. I said, can I pray for you? He said, yes. So I took my hand and I stuck it on his head. And when I did, the fire of Almighty God shot through him like the lightnings of God. He hit the ground under the power. He got up, he gave his life to Christ. He left that area at that moment. 
That night I stepped into something. I, I, I want to I submit to you, when prayer and evangelism get married, she's going to have a baby called awakening. We have got to begin to tie prayer and proclamation back to everything that we do. We continue to go down there. I was at school at Brownsville. They gave me a team. One night we were down in, in that same place and we had prayed so much. So many of us would go on 20, 30, 40 day fasts just that God would open the heaven over an area. And I don't know how else to describe it, but that area at Conception and Conti Street, it might have been as well been an altar at Brownsville Assembly of God because we were under an open heaven in that place. And one particular night we were down there worshiping. I told the team, nobody tell anybody about Jesus. Uh, nobody preach yet. We're going to worship uh, until the presence of Almighty God falls on this area right here. And as we were worshiping, our hands are lifted up. We're singing. There's about 30 of us. Uh, this gentleman doesn't like the song. He balls his fist up. Uh, he walks over to where my friend is. He draws it. He's about to strike him. Uh, and as he's picking his foot and putting it up on the sidewalk. Uh, he walked into the presence of God. When he did, he dropped his fist. He starts crying. By the time I turn around, in a matter of a second or two, he's already enveloped in the presence of God. Nobody preached to him. Nobody witnessed to him. It was just an individual, group of individuals that prayed that, that I, I, I can't depict it or describe it. It was like a moment like Enoch where he walked with God. God was walking with us like Obed-Edom. The presence of God was upon us in this activity. And we turn around, we lead him to Christ, we lay hands on him. The power of God knocked him out. He got up off of the street. He pulls a knife out of his pocket. He hands it to my friend. He said, I've had a spirit of murder, anger, and violence on me. He said, I'm a Vietnam veteran. He said, I, I, when I got back from Vietnam, I went to a church uh, and the pastor told me that God would never forgive me, that God doesn't love me, that I wasn't welcome to come back to the church because of what I did in Vietnam. And he said, ever since uh, that day at church, uh, I've wanted to kill people. I've wanted to hurt people. I've wanted to beat people. But something just happened to me. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm set free. You, you know, the Bible says... Uh, the Bible says, do not fix your eyes on what you can see because it's temporary. But fix your eyes on what you cannot see for it is eternal. You know, the reason many people don't witness to people that are bound by the devil, that are in atheism or satanic occultism, is because their eyes are fixed on the bondage they can see rather than the God that they cannot see. I got good news for you this morning. Drug addiction has an expiration date on the back of it. The Islamic movement has an expiration date on it. Atheism, crystal methamphetamine addiction, witchcraft, idolatry. But I'm telling you this, the blood of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, it doesn't have an expiration date on the back of it. And it's going to last forever and ever and ever. Somebody's son that's a drug addict, your son's got an expiration date. And drug addiction's gonna break. Those are you listening to me right now? We gotta fast. We gotta pray for breakthrough in Jesus' name and get our eyes off the bondage we can see. Can we say amen? I'm gonna share. I'm gonna share one more story and we're gonna pray. In, walked into a subway one particular night there was a Buddhist behind the counter and I just asked her I said have you ever felt the power of God she said no I said would you like to she said yes I said can I lay hands on you she said yes I put my hand on her and I said Lord I pray the fire of God would come on her right now in Jesus name amen I took my hand off of her. She gave him a sandwich. Probably what you thought was going to happen, right? You said, boy, they're going to give you a sandwich. She gave him a sandwich. I'm leaving. I get to the back door, 
and, and I'm literally about to put my hand on it. And she started yelling at me, sir, there's something on me. She yells again, sir, there's something on me. And I turned around. I said the name above Islam, Buddhism, and the devil. When I said the name Jesus, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess, she got hit by the power from me to about the fifth row. I was nowhere near her, but when I said the name, deity permeated the atmosphere. She doubles over. She was demon-possessed. She begins to hyperventilate and manifest the devil. You know, the Bible says in Acts 10.38 that Jesus went about doing good and casting out devils. As disciples of Jesus, I want us to lift the bar right now. I want us to begin to move from just a good Christianity that prays and that loves the presence to become warriors in the kingdom of God. That we're called to cast out devils, not just in a church altar, but out in the highways and the byways. Most of Jesus' ministry was not performed in a synagogue. It was in the public square. And most of the ministry in the United States of America is in church buildings uh, and very little is outside the four walls of the church. We got to turn that upside down. And, and so, so she's manifesting devils. What did you do, Joe? I jumped the sandwich making counter. The, ha- the sandwich making dude was like, that's against the rules, but he's backing up, man. That lady's manifesting the devil. She's hyperventilating. Hollywood couldn't depict it. I jumped the counter, I laid hands on her, bound the devil. She got free. She took her idol off. I led her to Christ. She called me several weeks later and said, Joe, this is Wong Chi. I want you to know I don't pray to Buddha anymore, only Jesus. She said, now listen to what she says. She said, because two months ago, I had a dream and you were in it, preaching me the gospel of Jesus Christ. She said, when you walked in the subway, I knew it was real. I hung up the phone and the Lord spoke to me and said this, I'm giving people dreams all over the United States of America. Where are the deliverers? He said, tell my people, he said it in grace. He said, tell my people I'm doing my job. It's time for them to do theirs. I want to... In the few moments I have left, I, I want to I say two things. In October, we feel like God is saying for us to come back to Calvary. We've just opened the Assemblies of God World Prayer Center in Springfield, Missouri. And we're in the process of gathering 100 U.S. missionaries to move to Springfield, And we're adopting the Charles Granderson Finney model. In that model, he had two intercessors that worked with him. And Charles Finney, in my opinion, was the greatest evangelist that ever lived in the United States of America. He was the central figure of the Second Great Awakening. In 10 years without telephones and internet and any kind of modern communication... They witnessed 500,000 people come to Christ. He had a simple strategy. Father Nash and Abel Clary would go into a city 30 days before he would get there. And they would fast and pray in 12-hour shifts for spiritual awakening and breakthrough in that region. When Finney would get there, it would be like a powder keg. Entire cities were coming to Christ. It wasn't uh, some strategy that was hard to figure out. It was prayer and proclamation married and the product was an awakening in the United States of America. Historians would follow the second great awakening 10 or 15 years later and they would find that 90 to 95 percent of the converts were still plugged into a local church. That's the greatest 
church stat I've heard on retention in my life. Uh, there's not a modern day stat of 90 to 95% church retention. And there's not a modern day strategy that implements prayer in the dimension that Finney did. Uh, that implements the gospel proclamation in the dimension that Finney did. Uh, one particular story is Father Nash and Abel Clary were in a city praying and crying out to God for awakening. Finney gets there a few days early and he begins to take a tour of a factory filled with hundreds of workers. Uh, when Finney walked into the factory, he looked at a young lady about eight to ten feet away from him. And when he locked eyes on her, he noticed that she began to fidget. She began to move in a, in a mundane, unusual fashion. He took a couple of steps towards her and when he did, the power of Almighty God hit her. There was no worship team. There was no preaching. He walked into the room like Enoch walked with God. God walked into the room with him. I want to tell you, that's just not for history. That's not just nice stories in the Bible that we can reflect on. God wants to do that in this dispensation of time and in this hour. She gets hit by the power of God and suddenly the entire factory gets hit by the power of God. Hundreds of workers are out under the power, crying out to God, screaming at the top of their lungs on the floor, <coughs> curled up in a fetal position. The entire factory got rocked for three days. Prayer and evangelism merged. And thousands of people got saved. Not because Finney was a good preacher, although he was that. Uh, not because he was a good strategist uh, or he was the sharpest mind or most articulate. Uh, he merged prayer and evangelism together in an unprecedented manner that began to birth awakening. I want to tell you this morning, uh, with things that are happening in this nation right now, when we've got legislation debating, should we give a 10 year old a hormone blocker and not even tell their parents uh, a good articulation isn't going to shift that. Uh, even the apostle Paul had one of the best articulators uh, in the Bible Stephen who understood the word preached uh, an apologetic gospel to him and Paul stoned him. Paul needed an encounter with God. Not until Jesus showed up in a face-to-face -face encounter. We're living in a day, God doesn't want us to be <coughs> ignorant of the Bible, but we're living in a day where we've got to go beyond apologetics and intellectual articulation. America needs to get hit by the freight train of God. We need a great awakening. It's awakening or bust. It's revival or we die there was I remember where I was at during Columbine now a Columbine shooting can happen and it's just a ticker at the bottom of the news screen I'm going to be vulnerable and then we're going to pray my daughter got an at-home assignment she was seven my, my, my wife looked at it it was filled with drag queen dancing my seven-year-old, her assignment was to write her emotions down. She didn't even understand human anatomy, let alone depicting. You know what that, was, that assignment was meant to do? Get her demon-possessed. To open up her emotions to this lasciviousness and to write them down. Needless to say, we called the school. They backed off. They repented. Thank God we were going we were gonna die on that hill. But I say all that to say, we need an awakening. How are we going to change the United States of America but by a sovereign, unprecedented awakening? And we're going to partner with this church this October in a simple strategy. It's not deep. It's not profound. We're going to send intercessors to this house to pray in this room 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 10 days. We're going to invite every church in this region to come as an epicenter to host this. And we're going to ban the intercessors of northern Alabama and southern Tennessee and central Alabama and western Georgia and possibly eastern Mississippi to come and contend for a regional awakening in Decatur, Huntsville, Alabama in Jesus' name.
In Jesus' name. I don't see any other way. I've been preaching for 25 years. I was, I worked with Steve Hill. I worked with evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. I tell you what, I see no other way than simplistic, devoted prayer and proclamation. I'm going to close with a couple of things. I want to pray for people. Two things. Maybe you're sitting there today and you're thinking, man, prayer, proclamation, the power of God coming down. Maybe, maybe you don't know the Lord. Maybe you're sitting there today and, and you had an encounter with God. Maybe you walked with God at some point, but now you're far from Him. Maybe you've submitted to an intellectual assertion of the gospel and not had a transformative encounter. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Whenever Peter and Paul preached the gospel, they had four main tenets. And the first one is something I believe that we're in a famine in the United States of America of preaching. They preached that Jesus was Lord, that he was a king. You don't just walk up to a king any way that you want to. You submit to a king. You bow to a king. You pledge allegiance to a king. When you're in a kingdom, your life is for the king. And they preached Jesus as Lord King. It's not our life anymore. If we're saved, it's not our life to live. You don't date who you want to date. You don't live how you want to live. You don't watch everything you used to watch. You don't listen to everything you used to listen to. There's a transformation that takes place. You might not be perfect and you won't be the next day, but there's a transformative encounter that takes place with a grace component that you can say no to what you used to not be able to say no to any longer. Are you with me right now? He died on a cross as as a substitute for our sin, but on the third day, God raised him from the dead. And here's the fourth element they always preached, uh, that to receive this Christ, you must repent of your sins. Why? Because sin separates you from God. Uh, You might say, well, sin's not a big deal. I'm telling you, if sin's not a big deal, then why did Jesus Christ step out of heaven as Lord King and put on flesh uh, and have his uh, body mutilated and bleed to death on a cross uh, if sin's not a big deal? He did it to to make reconciliation with us to God. And if God banned Adam and Eve for a simple sin that where they were just ate a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to eat that doesn't seem like a big deal, I want to tell you sin will separate you from God. Well, I prayed a prayer. Well, if you are walking in absolute sin and you're living in sin, it doesn't matter how many prayers you prayed, you need to get set free by the blood of Jesus Christ and delivered and transformed. I'm not asking you this morning, have you been baptized? I'm not asking you this morning, do you love pastors preaching? I'm not asking you this morning, did you feel the presence of God? Because in a church like this, it can be scary because you can walk in, feel the presence of God, walk out and just keep living with your boyfriend like everything's okay, like everything's all right. You can sense the presence and think, well, it must be okay for us to live together. It's not okay to live in any kind of sin, no matter how much you might feel the presence of God in church, just because you feel his presence doesn't mean it's a stamp on your walk with God. If you're not sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. If you've got sin in your life, if you're away from God, if you're doing things that Jesus would never do, when I count to three, in just a moment, I just want you to lift your hand. If you'd say, Joe... There was a time that I was on fire and now I've slipped. Or maybe you just had an intellectual submission to the gospel without ever totally giving your life and you can't point to the moment everything changed. You don't have to fall. You don't have to cry. You don't have to shake. But there will be a trend. There, there will be an encounter. There will be a transformation. If God Almighty steps in, you're going to know it. And others are going to know it. So so here's what I want to do. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. If you've got sin in your life, if you're away from God, if you're doing things that Jesus would never do, the good news is right now, the great news, the matchless news, 
He wants to exchange your immorality and give you purity. He wants to take your bondage and give you freedom. He wants to make an exchange with you. He's not mad. He doesn't want to hit you with a bat. He just wants to give you liberty and take your captivity. Before I got saved, I couldn't quit doing drugs. I couldn't quit living immoral. I'd shake. I'd run. I'd hit the... It was like I was in a prison cell. No key would open it. I'd ram the cell. I'd try to get the, the, the chains off of my feet and couldn't over and over. Every rehab couldn't get free. Every time I would knuckle down and try through AA, I couldn't get free. But one touch from Jesus Christ totally set me free. He wants to do that for you today. He wants to end the struggle. He wants to destroy the power of Satan in your life. And he wants to deliver you freedom this morning. If you're not sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. If you've got sin in your life, if you're away from God, when I count to three, I want you to lift your hand without hesitation immediately. One, two, three. Hands are going up all over this room. Just right up and right back down. Come on, put it up, put it up, put it up all over this room. All over this room. Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do right now. If you raise your hand, stand to your feet right now. Just stand up all over this room. Just stand. Come on. Stand. If you raise your hand, stand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on. Stand. Stand. All over this room. If you if you if you needed if you needed if you needed to raise your hand and didn't stand right now. Stand right now. Here's what I want to do. I, there, there's something about when we move physically, I believe God moves spiritually. There's something about that. Jesus, every time he called somebody, he called them publicly. The day that I ran to that altar, something happened to me. Chains fell off in that moment. So if you, if you stood, I want you to come up here and I want to pray with you right now. Just come real quick. Come on, come on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on. If you need to be here, I want you to come right now. Come on. Come on. Maybe, 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 maybe you should have stood. Maybe you should have stood and you didn't. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, God bless you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Anybody else, you need to be up here right now. Come on. Come on. Daddy, daddy, your whole family knows how you live. Come on, get right with God right now. Come on. Come on. You're not fooling anybody. And some of you may be. Some of you, your wife might not, it, it, it may be under wraps. I'm telling you, there's three witnesses, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They see it all. There is no closet. There is no closed door. If you need to get right with God, would you come right now? Come on, come on, come on, come on. Anybody else, I want you to come. I want you to come. I'm not trying to belabor this, but I sense this just for a moment. Would you come right now? Would you come to Jesus? I'm not asking you to come to a religion. I'm not asking you to come to a rule. I'm not asking you to come to a regulation. I'm asking you to come to Christ right now. And you may have been in this church for eight years, 15 years, two days, or 30. And if you need to get set free and you got bondage in your life, I want you to come right now. Forget about who's beside you. Forget about who's next to you. Nobody's going to poll you. Nobody's going to ask you and say, well, man, they've been coming to church their whole life. And what's a... No, they're just going to be happy that you came. If you need to get right with God, would you get up and come? right now thank you for listening to today's podcast you can connect with us live each wednesday and sunday through our social media pages if today's message has blessed you please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of christ find out more about calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org